Well, it is great to see you here on Easter. If you're a guest with us, welcome. If you're in this room or in the Fellowship Hall, the amphitheater, or at home and live stream, welcome. Uh, we're uh, all glad that you have joined us. If you would, uh, if you want to uh, turn with me to John chapter 20, um, we're in a series called Fully Alive. And um, uh, John, who uh, walked with Jesus, who watched his miracles, who heard him teach, who saw Jesus on the cross, and who saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. He actually put his eyes and saw Jesus himself living once again after he saw him dying on a cross. It's an amazing thing that 50 years later, as an eyewitness of all these things, he chose to write down for us, for future generations, his account. Now, what's interesting is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, the four writers of these gospels that show us the life of Jesus Christ, John had a different purpose than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John said, I'm not going to tell you everything that happened. I'm not going to give you every detail. I'm not going to write down everything that he taught, all that he said, and all that he did, and everyone who he healed. He said, I'm going to be very intentional and very targeted, and I'm going to tell you what you need to know to arrive at this conclusion And that is that Jesus is the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah. That he's the son of God. And in believing that, that you would have life in his name. And so this is the hope that we have. We've been walking through uh, this, this book for the last year. And we are at the summit today, which is when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So if you would, let's bow and let's pray. Fathers, we come to your word We pray for power from on high. We pray that you would help our eyes to be able to see, that you would help our ears to be able to hear and our hearts to be able to understand and you would penetrate our unbelief, that you would penetrate our apathy. Lord, that you would, Lord, penetrate all of the obstacles that would help us this morning from seeing that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. Even for those of us who know, God, we are a distracted people. We have things all the time crowding our heart and our attention. And so I pray today, Lord, that even on a Sunday when we celebrate intentionally what we celebrate every single day and week here at Providence, the resurrection of your son, I pray, God, that you would literally light our hearts on fire for the gospel and help us to see that this, what took place when you rose Jesus from the dead is the most consequential thing that's ever happened on this earth. So would you speak through weakness in myself and bring glory to Jesus Christ, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So John chapter 20, you know, it's interesting that each and every one of us know what it's like to try to help somebody see what they simply cannot see. Here today, I want to help you see the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the reality is every one of us knows how hard sometimes it is that when you see something and you're trying to help someone else see something and they just simply can't see it. Sometimes it's an object like a bird in the forest. And you say, hey, do you see that bird? They go, no, I don't. And so the first thing we do is we start to use words to try to describe, like zoning in their eyes. Okay, well, you see the oak tree, you see this. Okay, now look to the left. And if that doesn't work, we start to point. And if our pointing doesn't work, sometimes we stand right behind the person and act like our arm is their arm. And when we line up their eyesight, like now do you see? 
It's an interesting thing that a lot of times our inability to see something comes because the object simply escapes our vision. But oftentimes, the reason people can't see is because the object escapes their interest. Years ago, I was um, skiing with some of you, in fact, uh, here at our church. We went out west, went to the Rocky Mountains, and there's this place at the top of Breckenridge that they say is the highest ski point in, in, in our whole country, right? And there's a little shot that I have for it here. You actually go up on, on the lift, which you see down below, and then if you want to hike to the top, you have to take your skis off. You hike to the top, but when you get up to this little summit, you can literally see 360, all the way around, you can see the, just the amazing majesty of the Rocky Mountains everywhere. And I get to the top, and I'm just overwhelmed. And I'm like, can you believe this? And there's a guy standing right next to me. I have no idea who he is. And I said, I just, I just turned to him and I said, can you believe this? And he goes, what? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean what? I said, look, I said, can you believe the beauty of this place? And you know what he said? He said, oh, I, I live here. I live here. This is no longer significant to me is what he's saying. It's stunning to you because it's new, but it's not so stunning because I see it every single day. You see, the hardest things in the world to explain are those things which other people have decided not to see. It's interesting when we come to this idea of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for many, many years, even decades and centuries in the world, people's primary obstacle in terms of belief in Jesus Christ's resurrection was that they looked at the fixed natural laws of the world that did not allow for a supernatural resurrection. And they simply said, I can't believe that. What's more common today is not scientific reasoning. What's more common today is people look at Jesus Christ and his resurrection and their unbelief is primarily rooted in an inability to even care. It doesn't mean anything to me. So what if he did or so what if he didn't? And this morning, what I want to do and hope to do is to point your attention to John 20, the resurrection of Jesus, in hope that you would see what really happened to Jesus Christ, but also why it really matters to your individual life. So John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it is still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, if you're up on our series, you know he's actually speaking of himself. This is John the writer. And he said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the same linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. 
For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then these disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced To the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. I'm going to read just two more verses. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, as we've done throughout this series, I want to just anchor the just two points this morning, two main points on truths about Jesus Christ, that if you believe these truths and if you apply these truths to your life, they will literally change not just your day, but the rest of your life and even into eternity. And the first point or truth about Jesus is that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. What we're told here from John's eyewitness account is that Mary came to the tomb. Now, John implies that she was alone. Matthew, Mark, and Luke says that they went, that there was at least one other Mary, not the Mary Christ's mother, but another Mary, most likely Mary's sister, who was with this Mary. You say, well, that's a problem then. It's really not a problem because John already told us. He goes, I'm not telling you all the details. I'm telling you just enough. And so what he does is he says, Mary Magdalene, she got there and she got there early on Sunday morning when it was still dark. And she looks and she sees that the stone is rolled away. And her response is not to exclaim or to worship or to say he rose from the dead. It was to run back to Peter and then to John and to say, Not, guess what, guys, you're not going to believe this. After all those prophecies from Jesus, he said he was going to rise from the dead and he did it. No, she verbalizes her unbelief in everything that Jesus had said up until that point and said, they took him, they stole his body. This is further evidence that the early Christians were not just easily excitable, gullible people. They were unbelieving people until something happened. And then they began to believe. Well, Peter and John, they start to run to the tomb. And apparently Peter's a little slower than John. I, I think it's funny that John includes that he, that, you know, I, I got there first, you know. 
I don't know if Peter was just like big boned or, you know, corn fed. I'm not sure exactly, but he wasn't quite as fast, right, as John. And so they start running and John beats him to the tomb. John doesn't go in. It says that he bends over, he peers in and he looks and he sees the linen cloths that John chapter 19, verse 40 told us that were wrapped around Jesus was 70 pounds, 70, 75 pounds of, of spices for his burial. And they're just sitting there. Well, Peter comes lumbering in, right? And I don't know if he just didn't have the brakes or, or, or whatnot, but he doesn't stop at the door. He just goes straight into the tomb. He gets there and he looks and he sees exactly what John saw. He sees these linen claws. And yet Peter sees, and, and then John comes in and all of a sudden they notice that, that not only were these linen claws there, but they're folded up nice and tidy like. They're looking at each other and it's an amazing thing what takes place because John, he says that that disciple he saw and believed. Now John is confessing to us when he first became a believer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because he says until this point, his disciples had not yet believed his predictions that he would rise from the dead. John is telling us at that moment when he saw those linen cloths lying there. All the prophecies of Jesus that he would rise from the dead, they all started to connect in his mind. And all of a sudden he says, in essence, I became the very first believer in the resurrected Jesus Christ. The very first one. And all of a sudden it says that they go home. They go home. Now, I think this is interesting, right? Because it implies that each went to their own home. Now, who's now at John's home? If you remember last week, right, Jesus on the cross, he looks at his mother, Mary, he looks at his loved disciple, John, and he says, you guys aren't related, but from now on, here's your son and here's your mother. And it says at that point in time that John took Mary, Jesus' mother, home. So John goes home. The implication is that Mary, Jesus' mother, is there. And this is the time, most likely, when she heard for the first time, that her son and savior has risen from the dead. John is the believer at this point in time. But as they go away, Mary Magdalene, she stays at the tomb. She's crying and something triggers her curiosity. And so she looks in. We're not told that she sees linen cloths. She sees two angels. Now this is pretty rare because God very rarely ever sent two angels for a message. It was always one. It's also rare because this is one of the very first times in the whole Bible where when someone saw an angel, the first words out of the angel's mouth were not, don't die, don't be afraid, it's going to be okay. No, these angels say, woman, what are you crying about? Why are you weeping? And she says, well, they took his body. She turns and all of a sudden she sees Jesus, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. She thinks it's the gardener. See, the tomb was in a garden. Now, I don't know why she thought this was the gardener. I have funny speculations about the, just the humanity of things. You see, he was buried in linen cloths, and he left the linen cloths. So what was he wearing when he got out of the linen cloths? I don't know, but maybe there were some gardener clothes around. He said, this will work. <laughs> Whatever happened, I don't know, but what I do know is this. She turns around from two angels and Jesus is standing there and she thinks this is the gardener. And so 
The gardener, who's actually Jesus, says, Woman, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And she says, basically, look, gardener, you probably took him. If you did, can you tell me where you put him so that I can go get him? And I don't know if it was the tone or the inflection of Jesus' voice, but he had said her name countless times over three years. And Jesus says the word Mary. And all of a sudden her eyes are open and her heart begins to gush worship and she says that, It's Jesus. Jesus' next words imply that the first thing that Mary did was wrap herself physically around Jesus. He says, don't cling to me. That's what she's doing. She's clinging to him, hugging him. She's ecstatic. She sees Jesus resurrected from the dead. And Jesus says, even though this is important and it's going to give you hope, this is no time for sentimentality. We can do that in heaven. This is a time for mission. I'm going to be going up to heaven. The Spirit's coming down. I'm going to commission you to the world. I want you to go right now, and I want you to tell people, the disciples and my brothers, that I've risen from the dead, and I'm going back to my Father, who can be your Father if you believe in me. She runs to the disciples, and she says, I have seen the Lord. Now, some of us look at this and go, well, that's really interesting, but how does it really matter to me? And the New Testament gives us great clarity as to how this matters. And I want to show you three things, that the death and resurrection of Jesus. Why does it matter that he rose from the dead? The first thing is this, is his resurrection proves that we must repent. You see, the Bible says that God created us in his image so that we could have a relationship with him. And then the Bible says that we sinned against God. We refuse to honor his glory. We refuse to trust his word. We refuse to love his presence. And so we chose sin. And what that did was it, was it escalated the chaos in our own heart. And it brought such tremendous brokenness, not only to us, but to everybody Around us. It was amazing. It was at this point in time that God promised a rescue. He said, In the garden, this is what's going to take place. I'm going to send you somebody, a rescuer. And the rest of the Old Testament is pointing to who this rescuer, the coming one, the Messiah, would actually be. And all of a sudden, Jesus came. You know, I, I try hard to think about ways to help you understand, help me understand, like what takes place when we're not in relationship with our creator. You know, when you go down under the sea, there's an entire world down there, isn't there? There's beauty, there's order, there's all kinds of things to see. There's a God who created all these things. When you go down there, you can go down there, but you have to go under with very specific equipment. There's a way to do it, right? Oxygen tanks and tubes. This is very similar to how God created us to live on the earth. There's incredible beauty. There's things all around. And yet there's a specific way that we were created to function on the earth. And if we detach from that, if we sever that oxygen tube to God, then what takes place is that we get to a place of chaos, and anxiety in our heart. 
If you think about scuba diving, it's interesting that I read yesterday that there are some people who get down there and they all of a sudden they have an anxiety attack. And one of the first things they do is they start taking away all of the apparatus to help them to breathe. You say, well, that's a tragic thing. It is, but they're not thinking right at that moment in time. And this is exactly what happens on the earth. We get panicked because life isn't working how we think. And all of a sudden we start even taking all of the provisions that God has given to help us breathe and to move and have our being in him here on the earth. And you know what's interesting is if you go under the water and have this, this, this deep anxiety and you start taking all of the things that keep you alive, that keep you functioning, that keep you peaceful under the water and you start throwing them off. Because you're so anxious. One of the first things that happens is if you're with other people is they come to help you. And isn't it interesting at that moment how we then became a, become a risk and a liability to other people because in our angst, we begin treating other people poorly. And this is exactly what happens in, in the world. You think about yourself. You think about some of the decisions that you've made in life because you're separated from God and are looking so deeply for a solution to bring order to your life. And isn't it interesting in your pursuit to bring that order out of a world of chaos, how many people we hurt. And this is exactly what God saw. And so he says, this is what I'm going to do because I love you so much. I'm going to send you a rescuer. And so in Christ, he came and he lived with what we're told is a righteous life without any sin. And this Jesus went and he died on a cross for your sin and my sin and the sins of the world. He was buried in a grave. And then on this third day, he rose from the dead. Some 20 years later, a man named Paul who's changed, who's believing in Jesus. This was, a, this was an amazing, faithful Jewish man who hated Christ and who hated the church and the whole message that Jesus rose from the dead because it was threatening to him. And all of a sudden, Jesus showed himself in bodily form to Paul. And all of a sudden, he becomes a preacher of this gospel that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, 20 years later, Paul is in Athens. And this is, what, this is part of his sermon To the people in Athens. He says, God commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by why? By raising him from the dead. You see what this is saying? What he's saying is Jesus' resurrection is designed by God himself to be the global evidence that sin is serious, that repentance is urgent, that judgment for every single one of us is imminent, it's coming, that we cannot save ourselves, and that faith in Jesus Christ is necessary for forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And so one of the reasons why it's so important that we understand that Jesus' resurrection matters to you and to me is because it is the global witness from God that says you are separated from God. And the assurance that God says you are one day going to stand and be held accountable by God himself 
And he says, by the man whom he's appointed, the man who he raises from the dead. In other words, you and I one day are going to stand alone before Jesus Christ and he will judge and he will determine our eternal destination. All this takes place because he rose from the dead. Well, there's another thing that his resurrection proves, and that is that our sins can actually be forgiven. You see, every single one of us wants some kind of surety to know that his death on the cross could actually deliver us. Just a few years ago, I was over in Central Asia, and I was trying to buy some cakes and some cookies, and I had some currency that I didn't know had expired in that culture, and that, like, you, you, like it's, it's good for nothing. And so I put the money on the table. I can't speak his language, and he can't speak mine, and he looks at me with, with obvious disapproval. I'm not taking that. You do not have the currency. All of us kind of know what that's like to where when it's time to buy something, we just don't have what it takes to buy it. And that feeling of like, man, it's just not enough. Well, how in the world do we have certainty while we walk from now to the time when we die that Jesus' death on the cross was actually sufficient to, to, to pay for all of our sin? And the answer is this, that God the Father gave us evidence that Jesus' payment was sufficient when he raised him from the dead. Romans chapter 4 verse 25 says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our offenses and he was raised to life for our justification that you and I could be innocent when we trust Jesus Christ and he gives us his righteousness and he says, you're now justified. Isn't that amazing news? Your sins can be forgiven, all of them. By trusting in Jesus Christ. And the third thing that his resurrection proves is that we will all be transformed. We will all be transformed. You see, later that night, I think it's really interesting. Same night, Jesus enters a room where all of the disciples are gathered and it's locked for fear of the Jews. He just goes straight through. And he lets them touch his hand. Well, I should look at this next week, his hands and his side and it's interesting what this means is that Jesus rose physically, but the body with which he rose was not exactly like the body that died. Oh, it's a body that can be touched. You can actually touch the hand and say, you know what? There's a hole in that hand. I can feel something. There's substance there. He rose bodily. But this is also the kind of body that's different because he did not unwrap himself. He went through the linen and he didn't unlock the door. He went through the door. You say, well, why does that matter? Well, well, that matters because Philippians 3.21 says that Jesus, Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now, what does that mean? It means that when we die, if we've trusted Jesus Christ, when we die, we will be resurrected and we will be given a body. But it's not just your body a little bit better. It's a body like his resurrected body that has no capacity for sickness, no capacity for disease, no capacity for sin. It's a body that will be transformed forever. And so providence, if this is true, let's consider what is at stake in Jesus' resurrection. I mean that. I, I would encourage you today to think about if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, how would my life be different today? 
You see, a real man named Jesus stood on this earth and he promised repeatedly that he would rise from the dead and then he went and did it. You see, this is not just a moment in history. It's the moment in history. It is the lens through which all the rest of life must be viewed. And it is the evidence that repentance is urgent, that sins can be forgiven, and that future hope is real. It's because he rose from the dead. The second thing I want you to see is this. The second truth is that Jesus helps us see and believe through eyewitnesses. He helps us see and believe through eyewitnesses. And this becomes really important because most of us, we really want to see tangible proof before we build our life upon something. The fact is, is there's no videos, there's no photographs of Jesus actually coming back to life, seeing his blood liquefied with inside of his veins, seeing his eyelids open, seeing his organs start to pump again, seeing, seeing, seeing him start to move around. We don't have any physical evidence that you can watch and see, well, see, here's how it happened. I'm watching it right now. There's nothing like that. So how do we gain assurance that he actually rose from the dead? Well, the Bible says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You see, this same Peter who ran to the tomb just a little bit later in Acts chapter 10, he's preaching to a bunch of Gentiles. And this is what Peter says. It's going to be on the board. Peter says, look, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Now watch this. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And to him, all the prophets of the Old Testament, that is, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What this says is that God chose specific eyewitnesses who would testify as to what they saw. And in our text, these 20 verses on eight different occasions, we're told, as we read it, that people saw something. Mary walked to the tomb and she sees the stone rolled away. John sees the linen cloth. Peter saw the linen cloths. John says he saw and believed. Mary then saw two angels. And then she saw Jesus thinking he was the gardener. And she went to all of the disciples and said, I have seen the Lord. In verse 20, all the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, what's interesting in those Eight different times, two of them are really interesting because Peter, I'm sorry, John saw things a little differently and believed than Mary saw and believed. You see, Mary looked and actually saw Jesus in bodily form resurrected from the dead. And she believed in him. 
But when John believed in Jesus Christ, what it says that he, all he saw was the linen cloths and the remembrance of all of his promises that he would rise from the dead. And what's interesting is you and I today, we can't see like Mary saw. We have to see like John saw. But if you think about life today, this happens every day, and we're content with seeing the way John saw in nearly every other aspect of life. Let's just say that you leave church today, and a friend calls you, and he says, I want you to sit down. And you sit down, and he says, I have some really horrible news. Are you sitting down? Yeah, I'm sitting down. Well, your buddy... Your buddy died today. And you say, no way. I saw him today at church. There's no way that he did. We talked. I don't believe you. And he says, well, the thing is, is I, I know he saw you today because we talked about it when we left in the car together. We were going to lunch. And another car out of control came and struck our car. I, I saw him, and I want you to know that he died. And then softly, maybe in shock, you say, oh, I, I see. Now, what are we saying when we say the word, I see? What we're saying is that we're looking through the window of an eyewitness and now basing the rest of our life on the truthfulness and reliability of that witness. We're seeing through someone else's testimony and believing. You see, we do this all the time. Someone comes and says, you should try that restaurant. You've never been, they've been. You go on the basis of the window of your friend. You should, you should go see that movie. You should come to my church on Easter Sunday morning. Some of you have been invited here and you came only because you trusted through the window of another person that you believed was reliable. You say, well, how many people actually saw Jesus raised from the dead? How many of these eyewitnesses were there that we're supposed to listen to? Well, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, verses four through six, these words. It says, Christ was raised on the third day and he appeared to... Peter, and then to 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, the early skeptics of Jesus' resurrection could go and talk to nearly 500 living eyewitnesses that say, no, really, it's true. I saw him too. And perhaps the greatest evidence that we have of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the inability to produce a body because it rose from the dead. You see, someone had to take that body. If it was Jesus' enemies, they would have produced the body when his disciples started proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead. They hated the message that Jesus rose from the dead. So if they had the body, they would say, see? And they would put the entire movement of Christianity to rest. And if Jesus' disciples had stolen the body, then they probably would have produced the body when they started to be martyred because of their testimony that Jesus was the Christ. Not that many people would say, you know what? I think I'm going to die for what I know is a lie. No, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So as we wrap up, I want to encourage you with two applications to this point. The first is this, is let's trust Christ and receive his forgiveness. Some of you are here today and you're not a believer and we're really glad that you're here. 
Really glad you're here. When I was 16 years old, I was not a believer. Then all of a sudden, God began to work in my heart and I began to read these very words in these gospels. And all of a sudden, God opened up my heart and my eyes to be able to see through these eyewitnesses the reliability and the truthfulness of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And I placed my faith in Jesus Christ and he transformed my entire life. I would just say that if you're considering Christ, I urge you this morning to focus your attention on his resurrection and not on his teaching. You see, when Jesus died and went into the grave, his disciples didn't go around starting a teaching circuit of Jesus' famous sayings. The reason is because, well, actually what they started to do was went fishing. And the reason they went fishing instead of started teaching what Jesus taught is because Christianity is the only religion not founded on its founder's teaching, but on its founder's resurrection. You see, if Jesus today is still in the grave, his teachings are really interesting. But if Jesus rose from the dead, then his teachings are essential. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Pour all of your energy into understanding that question and answering that question. And all the rest will begin to make sense in time. We simply invite you today, if you've never trusted Christ, you can trust him today. You can repent today and you will be forgiven of your sin. Providence, there is one other thing, and that is for those of us who have trusted him, this story would urge us to trust Christ and share his story. It's not just to receive his forgiveness, but to share his story because this story doesn't end with sentimentality. This story ends with Jesus saying, now you need to go and you need to tell, tell people what happened. We're gonna look at this next time. As the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus is sending us. So we commend you to Christ today. Look to him, believe upon him, and you too will be saved. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your kindness and your grace in our life. God, as we prepare even to sing another song, as we Lord, take a moment to think about your resurrection and its significance, I pray that you would use this moment in time, Lord, to speak to each individual heart in the room. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would instruct us. And God, even as we give to you an offering uh, out of our life and out of our lips as we sing to you, we pray that you would be glorified. Jesus, today we honor you and every other day for you rose from the dead. We love you. We're grateful. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.